hello and welcome to the Treehouse Letter, where we're always learning with a bit of fun. My name is Milan Shatton, and I'm your host and producer for today's podcast on flesh-eating beetles and the sins of the mother. When I'm working on an aspect of my writing, I pay attention for it in my reading. I've been doing a daily 10-minute writing exercise which focuses on seven senses. These passages highlight skillful use and particularly eerie, okay, let's call it more than troubling, scenes. This is the very kind of writing, though, that sticks out for me, that lingers on long after the reading is done. Consider traditional senses processed through the eyes, ears, nose, tongue, and skin. These sense organs allow us to see, hear, smell, taste, and feel. Your head, the human head, is extraordinary. The brain processes the five senses, how we experience the world. Imagine, one, the feel of a rose petal against the cheek. It's two, sweet fragrance. The three, pale pink hue. The four, silky taste of it. The five, silence when you release it in the wind. So that's five senses, two extra senses. What are the two extra senses? Music professor Pat Patterson describes them as organic and kinesthetic. The organic is the awareness of inner bodily functions, something which athletes are most keenly focused on, such as breathing, pulse, muscle tension, or as a writer, I've been sitting too long. I need to get up and stretch my legs, my back, fold my arms across my chest. The kinesthetic is roughly your sense of relation to the world around you. If you're drunk, the world around you blurs. Dancers and divers develop it most fully. Pattison describes the train you're on as standing still and the one next to it moves. And how your kinesthetic sense just goes crazy. Horse by Geraldine Brooks. The character Jess describes what is officially known as the environmental suite where she works at the Smithsonian Museum Support Center. She tells Theo that workers just call it the bug room. When they step inside, they're hit by an unlovely stench. Beetle frass poo, I think, is the less technical term, and decomposing flesh. These guys, dermistids, are totally unwelcome anywhere else on the property. In here, we want them to eat things, whereas that's considered suboptimal in museum storage areas. That seems a bit primitive, Theo said. Jess shrugged. Thermostids can do the delicate work of cleaning bones with less damage than any other method we've been able to come up with. Efficient, too. They clean about 3,000 specimens a year for us anything from hummingbirds to an elephant that died at the National Zoo. They can clean a mouse in a day. A dolphin might take two or three weeks. Let me get them something they like. She crossed over to the cold store and scanned the desiccating specimens. The Arctic wolf carcass looked ready, so she picked up the tray and carried it back to the bug room. Watch this, she said, as she set the tray down. Within seconds, the beetles found the carcass and we're all over it. Rugby team at a buffet table, Theo said. 
The munching of so many bugs was audible. A soft snap and crackle sound. <laughs> That's the passage from Horse by author and Pulitzer Prize winner Geraldine Brooks, page 135. So senses abound to bring this morbid, flesh-eating bug room alive. The visuals of decomposing flesh and the wolf carcass, the stench of beetle frass, the cold tray she sets down in the munch of a gazillion beetles, the soft snap and crackle sound. As a reader, the senses are overwhelmed, and I find myself horrified and fascinated in turn, wrinkling my nose and cringing in an odd sort of delight to learn such a bug room exists. It does. It is real, as the author explains in the speech. Now, Theo's metaphor about the rugby team gives urgency to the life force of the lowly but devastating Dermistid. <laughs> Scientific names and precise word choice provide context of a lab. Environmental, suboptimal, frass, desiccating, or drying out. Such writing has the reader present in the room, eyeing the arctic wolf flesh, the drying legs served up on a cold tray, and the assault of beetles, the squirming mass of bugs all over it. What of the extra senses? Not explicitly written, as in the next passage. This makes my skin crawl, a bodily reaction to the text as I wipe my nose, squint, and take myself out of that room. Though, of course, I'm nowhere close to that room. My brain is sensing what I am reading as if it is real. Take Me, I Am Free by Joyce Carol Oates. This is the second passage coming up. So beware, though, this is wicked of suburbia, the herring, ugly to the bone that taps into a mother's sins. What makes a tale ghastly is its believability. Diving into a woman's lesser nature in this case, the lazy, the neglect, the disdain, the selfish, in the extreme. In this four-page story, Oates opens with a narrative line. The mistake must have been the child woke too soon from her afternoon nap. So the mother's on the phone, and the next paragraph closes with a statement that the child hears. Here, is the, here it is. No, it is not postpartum bullshit. It isn't physical at all. It isn't mental. It isn't genetic. And it isn't me. It's her. <laughs> so the reader is eight lines into the story. Eight lines. Here's a passage on the second page. I didn't sign up for this. I didn't understand what was involved. Motherhood. Before I knew what was happening, she got inside me and kept growing and growing. And now she's everywhere, all the time. Always I'm obliged to think of her sucking all the oxygen out of my lungs. <laughs> and this is a passage from Zero Sum Stories, published 2023 by Joyce Carol Oates. It's an excerpt from page 110, and the story is called Take Me, I Am Free. Uh, the emphasis they put on the words or the italics are actually used by Oates in the text as well. 
She chooses each word carefully. The order and the sentences are distilled to the absolute essence, making every line count. She builds tension with tidbits, pulls the reader into this dark place. Now, spoiler alert, I'm going to give a little away if you want to stop here or skip 20 seconds. In a flurry of activity focused as a tornado, the mother gathers the child together with the week's trash to set out on the sidewalk in front of the buffed brick row house on Stuyvesant Street. <laughs> so she's next to a sign, the girl, the child's next to a sign with handwritten words on it. Have you guessed what they are? <laughs> Take me, I am free. This is the second page and I'll leave it to you to learn the rest. So what if the two extra senses, not physical, not mental, not genetic, the postpartum bullshit, this is the organic sense, the mother's physicality in her sense of separateness from the child, the problem, the ug realities are all about the child. The mother describes the growth inside her, the pregnancy and the hell implied in the words, always I'm obliged to think of her. The complete extinction of self and the words sucking all the oxygen out of my lungs. The child took over her body, and this is the organic sense. Now, the kinesthetic sense, this is the relation to the world, is that the girl has consumed the mother's life and world, so much so that the child is everywhere all the time. So the organic and kinesthetic senses breathe a potency into the writing a connection to the reader which touches the nerve. The reader must know more. What happens next? When I finished this story, I continued thinking about it. A mother stabbed her five children just this spring. Mothers killing their children is nothing new, but what is, is how Oates writes about it in this collection. <laughs> so give it a go. Improve your writing immediately and write through the seven senses. That's the end of this podcast. Please visit treehouseletter.com to see links to the book, uh, the passages, as well as my footnotes, uh, which describes the writing exercise from Pat Pattison's book um, about writing song lyrics and um, some recent headlines on mothers killing their children. Uh, as always, thank you so much for listening and have a great day. Thank you.